0: Welcome to episode 148 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, and taking a break from his positive Rise of Skywalker tweet storm to be with us here today <laughs> is Paul Herman. Happy New Year, buddy. How are you? I'm good, man.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yesterday, I know you wanted to record, but I had planned this whole thing out, and some friends of mine wanted to also play Battlefront too, And so I just was, uh, yeah, I, guess I got some things going on, and I had this... I had notes all out. It was crazy. So yeah, it was a big positive, big positive fest last night. But yeah, Happy New Year, Sean. It's a great, great New Year. We're talking Marvel, obviously, not Star Wars. And uh it's gonna be. This is gonna be a really insane year for me, or for for Marvel too, because you've got Black Widow. You've got now one of our main topics today. And yeah, it's 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 gonna it's gonna be interesting. You know, last year was the the year of Star Wars TV kind of coming into its own, and now. It's this year is the year of Marvel coming into into its own on TV. The canon canonized Marvel, you could say.
0: Sure, yeah. Yeah, this episode is going to be our 2020 preview episode, but we have some pretty big news to discuss in this show which we are going to get to. But first and foremost, happy new year to all of you listening. Happy to have you back with us. Yeah, 2019, it was kind of sad to see it go because it was such an awesome year as we talked about on our last episode and just Uh, A huge milestone year that we had been looking forward to for such a long period of time, and then it was over. But 2020 is going to be awesome because it's not just a brand new year, it's a brand new decade, and it's a brand new era for Marvel Studios and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not just because we're moving on from the Infinity Saga into Phase 4, but as you mentioned, Paul, we're moving to the small screen in a way that we have not before, with shows that are actually being produced by Marvel Studios with the Falcon and Winter Soldier and one more that we didn't know we were getting this year, but more on that in just a second. Uh, but before we jump into the news, just want to let you know, uh, let all of you know that we have some really important announcements about the podcast. ...that are coming up in this episode, so make sure you stay tuned. I'm pretty sure you're going to want to hear all of it, uh, so we will, of course, let you know when we transition to those things. But getting into the news, the first big Marvel Studios story of the year actually arrived on the first day of the year. So, back on January 1st, they put out, Disney put out a video teasing everything that was coming to Disney Plus in 2020... And as expected, we saw the Falcon and the Winter Soldier in that video. But right after they highlighted Falcon and Winter Soldier in that video, we saw WandaVision as premiering on Disney Plus in 2020. Now, originally, it was announced that we would see WandaVision in the spring of 2021. So the first question that came up that I was wondering about and then some of our, uh, our patrons, some of our members on our Discord, they were wondering the same thing. Is this a mistake? Did somebody accidentally cut a little clip of or a little bit of artwork from WandaVision into this video, thinking that it was 2020 when it's supposed to be 2021? But no, with the accompanying press release that I got via email along with the video, there it was, WandaVision, coming up in 2020. And then it was on the Disney Plus Twitter account. So it's official. WandaVision arrives in 2020. And I'm really excited about this, Paul, because we have this... We kind of have this weird stretch on Disney Plus right now where The Mandalorian is done. I know we're going to get Clone Wars in February, and that's great, but with respect to live action content, we don't have any Star Wars or Marvel for the next several months, however long it's going to be until the Falcon and Winter Soldier arrives in the fall, and we don't know what specific date that is. We just know fall is pretty far off from now, so it's going to be a while, but then once we get to Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think we're going to see Disney Plus just being fast and furious with how they drop things. Because this fall, we know we're getting Falcon and Winter Soldier. We also know that we are getting season two of The Mandalorian from Star Wars. And then I would imagine that sometime after those shows are done is when WandaVision is going to premiere. I don't think it's going to suddenly be a summer release or something like that. They're not moving it up that much. They're moving it up Mm -hmm. into 2020. I still expect it to be late 2020. So maybe a November, December premiere date for WandaVision. So the last episode may actually arrive in 2021, but at least it's starting somewhere in 2020. And that's awesome because I am as intrigued by this project as anything else Marvel Studios is working on because I don't even really know what to make of it, but that's what's so exciting about it. And I'm glad that we're not going to have to wait quite as long to see it.
1: Yeah, this is something that I was a little surprised at myself, but I think Disney needed it because... They're, as you just said, they the content they have on Disney Plus, as far as the new content that is driving their, in my opinion, their their whole business operation. Of, it's great to have Marvel and Star Wars on there, and it's great to have all the Disney content on there. But you know what? What's going to drive and keep people like me and you, uh, to keep keep subscribing to it? To it, honestly, is by having fresh new content, or at least a fresh new content have it be as rewatchable as possible as much as you can. And I know like the Clone Wars is not everyone's favorite. It's a, I'm a giant Clone Wars fan. So I'm very excited about that. But even if you include that, you're still not, it's still not very much going on this year. You know, as far as new content, as far as what's going to drive in my, again, in my opinion, the, the business side of, of people like who love Marvel and star Wars. And I think with, it also makes sense in a sense, to me because WandaVision just from what we've been given from the hints of the posters and what they've talked about it doesn't seem like it's going to be a giant production if that makes any sense I don't think that's going to be like what John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing in the Mandalorian where they're they're doing they're ushering in new technology to develop this show and are trying new things and and this is not a knock on WandaVision at all but it seems like it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit more surreal, if you will, and I think that there's not gonna be as probably as as much diversity in sets potentially. Does that make any sense? I don't know. It just seems to me it's gonna be because of the wholesome suburban atmosphere that they're they're kind of promoting. It's gonna have a lot of that, and it's gonna be very more surreal surrealness, if you will, uh, around the show. And I feel that the because of that they're maybe able to say we can probably film this a lot sooner than we we're anticipating because of that i know there's other people in the show i uh, monica rambo's character I, I believe will be in the show mm-hmm. um so it, there's going to be you know not just in a suburban household and wanted no it's doing much bigger
0: thing. than that i mean it's part sitcom right. and part mcu epic so there's going to be some big visual effects stuff in a post production process but here's the thing to keep in mind about why they are able to do this they are not suddenly rushing this project. And I know that would be a perfectly reasonable concern when you find out, oh, this thing that we were looking forward to, it's coming out a few months ahead of schedule. That seems like you're tightening your windows to actually get the show made and have it be you know, have it be on time and, and have it look as good as it's supposed to look. Is that really gonna work out? But I don't really think they are rushing things because the production timetable for WandaVision is about the same as the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They started production within about a week of each other. Falcon and Winter Soldier started at, I know Marvel officially announced it at the in the beginning of November, but really it started on in the last day or two of October. And then WandaVision started, again, about a week after that, if not less. I don't know the exact dates, but it was very, very early November when WandaVision got started. So they're on roughly the same type roughly the same timetable. And Falcon Winter Soldier is going to be uh, available on time for uh, a fall release on Disney+. Plus. So it's not crazy for WandaVision to also be available for a 2020 premiere date. I think the plan for WandaVision, I don't think the release date of spring of 2020, 2021 was set out there because that's how long it was going to take to release the show. I think it was a strategic decision and the strategy has shifted. Because I think the initial thing was, we're going to go ahead and we're going to make this around the same time as Falcon and Winter Soldier, and then we're just going to sit on it. We're going to make it because we have an open window to make something. And remember, all of these production timetables and these calendars, it's not all based on what the release date is. That's part of it. But it's also Marvel Studios' schedule and Kevin Feige's schedule and everybody involved in these shows is their schedule. And so, They needed to go ahead and get some of these Disney Plus shows knocked out when they could because they've got a lot of other things coming up. They're going to go to four movies a year and all these other Disney Plus series. So they had an opportunity to make WandaVision. Uh, in November to start production when they did. And so they're already deep into production on it. So they have, I don't think they'll have any trouble ma- having it ready. I think it was always going to be ready around the same time. And then Marvel Studios was just going to sit on it to let it be closer to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think that's why it was going to be a finished show that Disney just sat on for a few months and then put it out closer to Doctor Strange. I think that strategy changed, however. Because I think they've realized that, look, people are going to need time to watch the show anyway. Not everybody who goes to watch Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to be fully caught up on WandaVision in the six weeks before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness comes out. There's also the Loki factor. WandaVision is not the only Disney Plus series tying into Doctor Strange. Loki is going to as well. So if you were going to do that and they were both going to be spring releases that had to come out before Doctor Strange... They would be running concurrently, and that wouldn't make any sense. If you're Disney, you want to have new original programming, and spe- more specifically, you want to have new Star Wars or Marvel original programming for as many weeks out of the year as you can. And so you don't want to have two Marvel—ideally, you don't want to have two Marvel shows moving running at the same time. You want to have one Marvel show run. And then you want to have the next Marvel show run. And then the next one and the next one. And you can uh, you can cut those up with Star Wars shows in between. That's the kind of schedule you would like to have. And why do you want to have that? You want to have that to prevent churn. Disney obviously went... Uh, they did a lot to encourage annual subscriptions to Disney+. Plus. You get a much better price point. They went through numerous promotions. Whether it was the Founder Circle deal that I jumped on at D23 Expo or whatever it was... They had, they, they had a lot of incentives to get people to sign up and make longer-term commitments to Disney+. But you got to know that for a lot of people, they still only committed to the monthly six ninety nine, dollars And there's probably going to be... I don't think it's going to be major. I don't think it's going to really hurt Disney or damage Disney+. Plus, But you also got to figure there's going to be some churn. There's going to be people who say, okay, Mandalorian's done. There's not a Star Wars or a Marvel show for the next several months. So I'm going to cut Disney+, Plus now, and then I'm going to come back when Falcon and Winter Soldier starts or Mandalorian season two starts or whatever. So for those people who are going to be part-time subscribers and part-time subscriptions are things that these streaming services are all going to have to deal with because there's going to be so many of them now to prevent that. You want to have your biggest hooks provided in your top brands providing you with with original programming every week. So you didn't want to have another gap. You don't want to have Falcon and Winter Soldier and Mandalorian season two, both premiering in the fall. And then you've got this huge gap between the end of fall 2020 and then spring of twenty twenty one. Why not just put WandaVision right there in the middle of it? That makes the most sense. So I don't think it's about rushing the actual making of the show. I think that part of it is just fine. It's just an adjustment in the overall strategy of how these things are of when these things are dropping on Disney Plus. So I don't have any I don't have any issues or concerns there. I'm just happy to be seeing this show a lot sooner than we expected. And I'm really excited for this show. I mean, we just talked about a Vision and Scarlet Witch uh, limited series on the Marvel Unlimited Book Club for December 2019. Patreon.com/slash Marvel Studios News. We had a lot of fun talking about that and imagining what was going to happen on that series, but we can't get into we can't get into too much more detail on that right now because, well, that leads to another announcement that's coming on. Although, if you've been following us on Instagram or Twitter, you already know what I'm going to talk about at least partly on this uh, on this podcast tonight. So. Mm-hmm. Tonight that we're recording, I don't know what time it is when you're listening to it. Our next story relates to, or we got a couple of stories related to a project that is staying in 2021. It's not moving up like WandaVision, but we have Thor Love and Thunder scheduled for November of 2021. And we know that thanks to Taika Waititi, uh, they are going to be moving down to Sydney, Australia Around April, and they are looking to start production on the film probably sometime in August. Taika Waititi said he told that to Variety. And Variety also asked if the production of the film could be impacted by the horrible bushfires that are raging throughout Australia. And Taika didn't know the answer to that. And how could he know the answer to that? I mean, it's something that it's probably something that obviously Disney and Marvel Studios are keeping an eye on. And I know, of course, where a movie goes into production and things like that, it's it's not the biggest concern compared to everything else that's going on with those bushfires in Australia. But when you consider that these movies going into production there, that creates jobs that people use to support themselves, support their families, and perhaps recover from some of the things that are happening down there. Uh, it is still, hopefully, these uh, productions will not be impacted by those fires. But speaking of the bushfires... As Taika Waititi and, and many others have uh, have suggested, have, have asked for, uh, we also want to put out the message to donate if you can to help support those who are being impacted by these bushfires. Uh, I've already made a donation to the Red Cross in Australia, and I would encourage you to as well, redcross.org.au. And also there are other ways to donate. You can look at a number of charities, I know Chris Hemsworth shared a bunch of them, and he and his family pledged a million dollars in support, and uh, the artist Boss, uh, Boss Logic put out this great piece of art of Groot carrying a koala through those fires. I mean, it's it's a beautiful piece of art, but it also highlights just how tragic these circumstances are. And those prints are for sale, uh, and those and the proceeds from those print sales are actually also going to support those being impacted by these bushfires. So check out redcross.org.au. Also check out Boss Logic on Twitter and Instagram, where he's got links to uh, these prints that uh, you get. Obviously a beautiful piece of art, but more importantly. It goes to support those who are in need. So we certainly encourage all of you to, uh, to take a look at those options. Now, another big story that came out this week for Thor Love and Thunder. I thought we were mainly going to be talking about the production start date. And then we got some big news yesterday. And that is that Christian Bale, according to Collider, is in talks to join Thor Love and Thunder. So Collider initially reported this. And I think Collider is very credible when it comes to scoops. But if that's not enough for you, The Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, the other trade publications, they chimed in right after uh, Collider did on this, confirming through their sources that this is happening, that Christian Bale is in talks to join Thor Love and Thunder. Now, this isn't quite the same as an official press release from Disney or Marvel saying, this guy is in Thor Love and Thunder. But usually when we see these types of things hit the trades or hit a place like Collider, and they're saying that, uh, that someone is in talks, it's quite possible that they are either deep into those talks or they have already signed. Unless the articles specify that it's early in the negotiations and things could still fall through. So right now, I expect Christian Bale to be in Thor: Love and Thunder. I think we can take this to the just about take this to the bank as it's happening. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start looking forward to it and start getting excited about it. And we have plenty of potential roles that we're going to discuss for Christian Bale in Thor Love and Thunder. But before we get into any specific characters, Paul, your reaction when you learned that Christian Bale was going to be joining the MCU?
1: I was surprised because you think that Christian Bale has devoted enough time to a franchise or to a to a genre film that he... Well, let's be real. He probably did Batman, maybe not for creative purposes, but, you know, mostly financial and notori- not notoriety, what I'm trying to say, but, you know, exposure for him to get other projects. And again, I don't default anyone for that, but I don't know if he was truly, I had to be Batman because I was, just, I just love the character and all that stuff. And again, I'm not trying to begrudge the guy at all. He's an amazing Batman. Yeah, You're being Wayne. too
0: cynical. Well, well, no, I'm just trying to be realistic. I mean, he was working with Christopher Nolan, who I'm sure gave a really good pitch to somebody like Christian Bale. And
1: that's true. You know what? I I don't deny
0: that, uh, of course, there are just regular business reasons to sign up to play Batman. But I think that if you are... uh, Christian Bale has never really shown, if you look at his career choices, maybe Shaft aside, if you look at his Mm. career choices prior to Batman... He wasn't necessarily trying to do the thing that would make him the biggest movie star. You certainly don't play Patrick Bateman if you're trying to be a leading man in Hollywood. So
1: that's a good point. That's a good I, I, I don't point. think
0: all of his choices. I don't think any of his choices maybe except again maybe Shaft. Uh, I don't think a lot of his choices were very cynical that early in his career. And I, and I do well. I say that early. I mean he'd been around forever by then. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't really think that was his thing with Batman. But I think your point though is still valid in that regardless of the reasons he played Batman, that took up the better part of a decade of his career. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so I think that because of that, there's, I, I just thought he'd be done with that kind of thing with, with the comic book genre. And again, just, just genre films in general, for the most part, that aren't like, I could see him being in like a Dune movie because Dune is weird and things like that, but nothing, nothing like, Again, akin to like a Marvel or DC or Star Wars, or which I don't want Bale in a Star Wars movie, it just be weird to be honest. To take me out of it. But that being said, with it for whatever reason, when it was announced that it was Taika Waititi in a Thor movie, it makes a lot of sense because one, I think Taika is able to bring people in that are just want to have fun, and I think that's what ultimately. Is 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 what the driving force of it is. Is that Ragnarok showed that, Chip Goldblum, uh, Chris Hemsworth, you know Tom Hiddleston, Mark Ruffalo, they all just had a blast. Uh, they, and I'm sure this is goes around all around Hollywood that Taika is just a lot of fun, amidst of the other films that he's made that are great, um, obviously. So to me, it it just makes sense that he would do it for for Taika and probably. Probably just for a one-time things because, Oh yeah, that sounds like fun. Cause I, for whatever reason, I just think that Christian Bale's not going to sign up to do something. That's going to be long standing with Marvel. Then again, we could be, I, I would be happy to be wrong if it's the right role, but for whatever reason, if it's a one off thing, throw a bunch of money at him, have fun with Taika. To me, that, that makes a it makes a lot of sense. And Tyka probably can has enough power and clout that people are like, yeah. Like for instance, Natalie Portman. Right. I mean, the fact that she's coming back is probably because of Taika Waititi, not because of Marvel itself, because she's said some pretty brutal things uh, about Marvel in the past and and things in general, and she's pretty outspoken as the last couple of years about things in general, which I think is great. And I but so the fact that she's came back is huge and i think that that speaks volumes and now that he's got christian bale he must have a really fun story that he's going to tell that people want to be a part of and i think that to me is the most christian bale yes that's giant and huge but the fact that he was able to land christian bale there must be a really endearing fun story that he's going to tell that entices all these people to come into this movie and and yeah, there's a lot of speculation, which we'll get into. But yeah, initial impression was shock. But to me, it's more the shock of Taika has a story that's that's grabbing these actors back into the, you know, the fold or these actors we never thought would come into the fold in the first place.
0: I mean, at this point, we we are pretty accustomed to a lot of great actors who we thought would never be in a comic book movie, whether it was made by Marvel or anyone else actually joining the MCU. I mean, I go back to. Robert Redford in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Or, speaking of Taika, Kate Blanchett playing Hela in Thor Ragnarok. I mean, that was a casting yeah. That was a casting story that completely floored me. I just never thought anything like that was going to happen. So it's weird to think that it's still possible to be surprised by these things, but I am a little bit sometimes. and But maybe not so much for... With Bale, it's a little bit different. I think the reason why, if it's somebody who's never been in a comic book movie... I don't know that any of that really surprises me anymore. But in Bale's case, I was very surprised because of that point. I mean, he he did his time in the genre. He played Batman. He did a phenomenal job in those movies. I absolutely love his performances in all three of those films. He's great in them. And because those take up so much time, I thought, okay, he's kind of done. But then when I go back and, and I thought about it a little bit after you know after the initial shock of seeing this this story yesterday I went back and I remembered there was there were there was an interview or two where it sounded like Bale was a little bummed and maybe he even regretted leaving the role of Batman after the Dark Knight Rises there was one time I can't remember the exact quote or who the interview was with but he was kind of talking about the idea you know because Ben Affleck was Batman at that point in time and I think it was around when when BVS was going to come out or they were making it and Bale kind of suggesting maybe it was, you know, maybe he did leave something on the table with that character, and maybe he could have come back and played that character in a movie where he was teamed up with Superman, and so I do think there was maybe at least a part of Bale who thought maybe he left the genre, not that comic book movies are one single genre, but that he left this space a little too early and maybe was looking for a way to come back, and I always thought he should. I mean, My dream of dreams was for Christian Bale actually to come back and play Joker in a Batman movie. And that's legit. That's not me trying to be funny because I'm not funny. But I really liked the idea of Christian Bale coming in and, and playing Joker or some other villain in a Batman movie. Or at least coming back to this space at some point. But I wouldn't have necessarily expected Marvel Studios. But I think this is the Taika effect. Everybody wants to work with Taika Waititi. I don't think there's a single actor in Hollywood where if you ask them, do you want to work with Taika in his next movie, where they wouldn't immediately say yes. They're not even going to ask what the next movie is. They're just going to say yes. They just want to work with this guy because he is electric. He has this unique voice, this unique vision that is so unlike anything else. It is entirely entirely his, and it is fascinating, and he has this unique way of making things absolutely hilarious, and yet totally sincere and heartfelt at the same time. He is phenomenal at that. Whether you watch movies like Boy or Hunt for the Wilder People or Thor Ragnarok or Jojo Rabbit or you watch Chapter 8 of The Mandalorian, Taika Waititi is just incredible, and I think he attracts talent, and I think he's the main thing that attracted Natalie Portman to come back to the MCU, and he's probably the main source of the attraction for someone like Christian Bale. And I think part of the reason why Christian Bale is attracted to this, and I think this will factor into some of the potential characters that we're going to talk about, is I think Christian Bale, as everybody knows he's a brilliant dramatic actor. He's unbelievable. Multiple Oscar nominee won an Oscar for playing the, uh, for uh, the Fighter several years ago. He's an outstanding actor, but most people think of him in association with dramas. But he's actually really funny. And he does have an underrated sense of comedic timing, kind of like Chris Hemsworth used to have. Not that Chris Hemsworth is quite as accomplished or received all the same acclaim as a dramatic actor as Bale has. But again, Chris Hemsworth was somebody whose sense of humor was actually undervalued in his performances. And Tyka really brought that. I mean, I, I think he didn't receive just enough credit for what he was already doing in Thor movies and Avengers movies. But then Tyka helped Hemsworth take it to another level. And I think that's something that Bale looks at and says, look, I also want a chance to uh, do something that can be dramatic and sincere, but I also want to have fun. And I also want to be funny. I want to flex my comedic muscles a little bit. And I think he'll get to do that with Taika Waititi. And so I think this just sounds like something that could be fun for Christian Bale, whether it's a one and done type of thing. Or it's a character he might play multiple times in the MCU. So I think it's a new and exciting opportunity for someone like Christian Bale, who does a lot of different things. And he has he's made a lot of different eclectic choices over the years, and this could just be the latest one. But I agree with you in that I think it, so much of it has to do with Taika. Now let's go ahead and let's talk about the different characters that he could play. Let's start on the hero side, Paul. I know which character you're totally hoping for, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start with the character who, and and I, I don't necessarily know that I really expect him to be a hero, more on that as we continue on, but the if I'm being 100% honest, which I am on this podcast, you can trust me, but That's true. the first name that came to mind, and I text this to Paul as well, the first name that immediately came to mind as soon as I read the story, when I started thinking about a character, the first character that just popped into my brain was Balder the Brave. And I don't know why it was Balder the Brave, but that's just where I arrived. And maybe it's because this is a major character in Thor comics. This is a high-profile Asgardian in Marvel Comics who somehow has not made it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is a son of Odin. He is a half-brother of Thor. And he is a character who pretty much everyone in Asgard respects, including Thor. Everybody respects and loves and adores Balder the Brave. And yet this character hasn't made it into the movies. And so that's a character that I've been keeping an eye out of. Now that we know the Thor franchise is continuing, and I don't know if maybe Love and Thunder will be the last one, but there's still an opportunity for Baldur the Brave to pop up somewhere. And so that was what I thought initially. The only knock on my immediate reaction, because again, just it was a reflex that Baldur the Brave popped up. But the one knock on that as I started to think about it is the idea of Thor having another long-lost relative that we've never heard about, another half-sibling that we never heard about, that feels a little too repetitive with the whole Hela situation in Thor Ragnarok, that in Taika's first Thor movie, Thor meets a half-sister he never knew about, and then in Taika's second Thor movie, he meets a half-brother he never knew about. So that's the kind of thing that makes me think it's maybe not Balder the Brave, but I can't dismiss the the possibility, and it was the first name that jumped to mind.
1: So you actually beat not beat me you actually i didn't even think of this character because for whatever reason i just thought it's not going to happen but you i don't want to steal your thunder so i'm gonna let you say it after I, I give mine i i think there's a couple different uh options and i think the the, the one you're gonna say after me kind of is in the same line of what i'm thinking and and basically i think he's playing a villain because i don't know like we talked about before i don't think he's gonna want to commit to more than maybe one, maybe two films Well I hear can
0: be a one and done character who dies in the first film he's introduced. And that is true. As Quicksilver. True. But you know, do it better. No, oh,
1: oh, oh man. I actually you know, I really quick I like Quicksilver. I wish he'd come back. No, no, he's maybe not look, bring him back. he's
0: not bad and I I totally think if if Wanda's making up realities then you know, but Ooh, true. that's for a, yeah. that's for another podcast. But yeah, I, that's, that's another. Podcast. I, uh, I I don't t- I don't totally dismiss the hero idea.
1: Yeah. So here's, but I'll let you do your hero idea, which I don't know why I didn't think of that first. I sh- that was a that was a rookie mistake on my part. Yeah. Well, it's the one that's but,
0: it's the one that's well. Do you have another hero to suggest or villain? I have a villain. Okay. Let's go. Let's do heroes first, and then we'll transition to villains. Oh yeah. So, all
1: right. You, then you you just go. So the, yeah. Go the ahead.
0: other the only other hero that really jumped out to me was Beta Ray Bill, and. Beta Ray Bill, of course, is this massively popular character, at least amongst Marvel comics nerds. I know that the general audience doesn't know who this character is, and that's totally fine, because the general audience can get to know brand new characters as they have many times in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Beta Ray Bill is a fan favorite. He, in the comic books, it's Beta Ray Bill who has a hammer named Storm, a hammer called Stormbreaker, not Thor. Um, and it was made because Beta Ray Bill actually bested Thor in a contest between the two of them in a fight. And so Odin owed uh, Beta Ray Bill a hammer. It was actually supposed to be Mjolnir, and then they kind of worked it out to... Got a new hammer, and it was Stormbreaker, and and everyone was happy. So awesome. But anyway, uh, Beta Ray Bill, massively popular character, and was sort of introduced as potentially being present in the MCU. Because if you look at that tower where Hulk lives in Sakaar, and you have these massive heads of these... Of the current champion, the Hulk, in the Contest of Champions, and these former champions... One of them appears to be Beta Ray Bill, and I'm pretty sure Taika actually confirmed somewhere that that's Beta Ray Bill. If not, it's a member of Beta Ray Bill's species or, or alien race. But I think it's supposed to be Beta Ray Bill, but that wouldn't mean that he's dead because maybe... Maybe Beta Ray Bill was one of the few con- the few champion winners who actually got to leave Sakaar freely and-, and somehow won his freedom from the Grandmaster and then has been off having other adventures and then will meet him in Thor Love and Thunder. So I know this is a popular pick out there for Christian Bale to be Beta Ray Bill and it would make a lot of sense except for one point and that's the question of is this really the best use of Christian Bale? And there's an mm. argument that it's not because Beta Ray Bill doesn't have human-looking features like Thanos. So, if you're going to have this CG character, because I don't, you know, if you're going to have an actor like Christian Bale, would you really want to bury him under makeup and prosthetics or a bunch of CG where you can't really see his face? Like, you can still see Josh Brolin's face and features a little bit in Thanos, or quite a bit in Thanos. You wouldn't get that with Christian Bale in Beta Ray Bill. I mean, he could do the performance capture for the physical movements of Beta Ray Bill, and you could hear his voice, but you're not really going to see Christian Bale in that character. Even though I know actors are supposed to disappear into the characters, you still want to make use of all of the things Christian Bale can do with all of his subtle, nuanced movements in his face as an actor. I don't know that you want to give that up, by having him play a character like Beta Ray Bill. So that's one knock on Beta Ray Bill. The other thing, and this goes against both Beta Ray Bill and Balder and any other character who might be on the hero side before we talk about villains, is we've already got a lot of heroes in this story. You've got Thor Odinson. You've got the mighty Thor, Jane Foster, with Natalie Portman coming back. You've got Valkyrie coming back with Tessa Thompson. You know Korg is going to be there with Taika Waititi. And then, you know, Meek is going to be there too. Not that he's going to say a whole lot, but Meek's going to be there. You have a lot of characters on the hero side. This movie's pretty full on the side of good. So I think if we're starting to look at the various openings for uh, this movie, I see a lot more openings on the antagonistic side than with the protagonists.
1: What I'm going to, my suggestion kind of goes in line with yours, but I think it's plausible, it's very plausible that this could happen even for the the hero side. I predicted initially to Sean was Ulick the Troll. And it was Ulick the Troll is the one of the few uh, villains left of Thor's that we have not seen in the films yet. And the first thing that I the reason why I thought of that the first thing was Ulick is a very humorous character and you could play it very, very, very differently than the comic books. He's kind of a, a big doofus kind of like a destroyer, um, in the, in, you know, with, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh. Um, executioner. What's, oh, Scourge. Oh there you go. Scourge. Is it, is it, is Is it, is it Scourge the executioner? It's the executioner, not the destroyer. I, Oh gosh. Yeah. Sorry. Scourge. Yeah. Scourge was played for laughs and he's kind of a straight kind of whatever. He's kind of similar like that in the comic books. Um, I, I, I totally forget Scourge cause he was, he was dead. Walt Simonson killed him off and, uh, back in the 80s so I barely knew who he was actually he first discovered Surge in the uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon mm. and I was like who is this guy and then I'm like oh yeah he's from Walt Simonson anyway so you look the troll is a character that they could definitely use and and the reason why I thought of it in, immediately was kind of like you know what he'd be great. Christian Bale could do this because one he doesn't have to commit to a bunch of films in a sense to where he could just do a one and done thing and it's probably going to be voice work. If anything, it's going to be, you know, um, motion capture, but if maybe very little. So I started thinking that's probably what he'd want to do. And that kind of goes in line with what you're talking about, the Beta Ray Bill. If, and, and he could do multiple films, kind of like a um, uh, rocket situation with uh, uh, Bradley, whatever his name Bradley is Bradley Cooper. Um, yeah, sorry. I got my hair terrible with names today. I don't know. He's only but, one of the
0: biggest movie stars in the world. I don't know why you can't uh, remember yeah, his name.
1: Well, uh, whatever. I just, I just don't care about people's It's because he's not your favorite stuff.
0: Chris okay. Pratt. That's why. Wow.
1: Um, but my point is, is that I think that Christian Bale, that with Beta Ray Bill and with You Look Troll, they both present opportunities for him to basically be... Uh, you don't have to have him be there on set. He could just do a voice work and, and he can have multiple films and commit to those things and not have to worry about showing up and showing his face. And you could. And again, with Bradley Cooper as shown as rocket. You can convey, obviously, through the computer animation and Josh Brolin as well. We can convey great emotion and acting through that. And I think that that's a possible way for. To get a Christian Bale into this and have a decent role, have multiple films, but yet you don't have to get he doesn't jar you out of it like, oh, it's Batman. He's back. Or, even though Michael Keaton, you know, came in to play Vulture, he's a lot older, obviously, and it was a little bit different. So I think with Christian Bale, the Ulic and Beta Ray Bill are probably my my front runners for him, just because he does look pretty close to what he used to with Batman back in the day. And that'd be a little bit jarring. I think it makes a little more sense to have him do voice work, commit to multiple films, and he doesn't have to you know, show up on set, et cetera, et cetera. So that is where I'm kind of going with it. I think it's one of the two. That's where I'm betting the, my uh, the house on, if you will, is one of those two characters.
0: I don't think that Bale is looking at this as, oh, let me find a way to part-time it in the MCU. I don't think that. I mean, I, I do understand the idea of, of one and done, and I don't disagree with that but I don't think Bale, the role is going to be influenced by Bale only wanting to be on set a few days or only do voice work or those kinds of things. I mean, if we if we think about the idea that Bale is probably excited to work with Taika Waititi, then he wants to work with Taika Waititi. He wants to be on set with Taika Waititi making this story. And so I don't really look at it from that angle for Bale. And, and so for a character like Ulick, it's same issues with Beta Ray Bill in that you're going to have, unless you're totally going to redesign the character to the point where he doesn't look like Ulick the troll, you're going to, end. and maybe there's, and speaking of trolls, it's a little too, maybe a little too, a giant troll is a little too similar to a giant dwarf with E-Tree in, in Infinity War, so maybe there's that too, but I just think with Ulick he's not formidable enough. I, I think if Bale is a villain in this movie, he's the big bad in this movie. And Ulick the Troll just doesn't seem like a formidable enough opponent for Thor, the Mighty Thor, and Valkyrie. That, it just doesn't seem like the kind of character who would stand a chance. Now, he could also have help, but I still just don't see Yulik being that kind of character. Similar to another character like the Mangog, another monster type of villain for Thor, or the Midgard Serpent, which would be entire, uh, entirely CG. I, these are the characters that I a, that I sort of lean against. Um, I mean, they're, they're all possibilities and they're all on the table until we figure out what character Christian Bale is playing, but they're not the ones I lean toward right now. Another one that I'm steering away from is Gore, the God Butcher. I know this is a, a popular theory that's out there. The reason I don't think it's going to be Gore, the God Butcher is because Taika's already said it. I mean, they, they stole Gore, the God Butcher's powers with Hela and Thor Ragnarok. The way she can just immediately conjure up weapons that's gore the god butcher's powers or at least that's one of them they use that for hella to give her a little bit more make her a little bit more intimidating physically make her a little more threatening and lethal so i think since they already took that and also hella just laying waste to the gods of asgard even though they're not actually gods we've already kind of had that with hella so i don't think he's going to be gore the god butcher i would be surprised on that front so when i start looking at the other characters who I think he could be. There was a good suggestion today from Spencer Perry, who writes for comicbook.com. Uh, he brought up, and I think this is one that that you were mentioning as well, Paul, uh, when we were texting yesterday, Cole Borson, who is Odin's brother from Fear Itself. That's somebody that maybe, uh, was that you, Paul, or maybe that was someone else? But
1: that I, that, I, I said, I didn't know his name. But I knew, I said the fear itself, the, basically Odin's brother.
0: Yeah, it's basically Thor's uncle. But yeah. the same thing that counts against Balder the Brave. Are we going to have another long-lost Asgardian relative? I don't know.
1: doesn't have to be, be long-lost, though. He just has to be around and show up and then be evil.
0: I don't know. When I think about Thor Ragnarok, I, I think that a lot of that was, was working through so that Thor could move beyond the family drama. He resolves mm-hmm. things with Loki. His father dies and he comes to and he has to come to terms with his dad's past, which maybe isn't quite as beautiful as he thought. And then of course he resolves things with this half sister he just met, Hela. So I think that a lot of Thor Ragnarok was moving Thor beyond the the traditional things that have always been part of his world in the MCU and kind of freeing him to get to this point in Avengers Endgame where he is quite literally a free agent. He can just go anywhere. He's got a ride with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but as he says at the end, for the first time he has no path. And so I think bringing things back into his family and back into the history of Asgard, I just think a lot of that gets uh, back into those territories of destiny and fate with Thor, which seems to be something they were moving uh, moving beyond in uh, in these movies. And so... I I lean away from those characters right now. So when I look at other characters, one major Marvel villain who I thought of was the High Evolutionary, and I'm getting that Mm. character out of the way first because it's not really my top pick. The High Evolutionary certainly fits the bill as a bigger cosmic type of villain, but if we're looking at a reason why it wouldn't be the High Evolutionary, that character might be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because in the comic books, that character created Rocket. And so if Rocket is going to deal with his creator in the MCU, which seems like something that could happen in Guardians 3, not that we know it's going to happen, but it's something that could. Now, of course, James Gunn could change who created Rocket in the MCU, just like Ego is not Peter Quill's father in the comic book. So there could be a change there. But if the high evolutionary created Rocket in the MCU, and we're going to see that in Guardians 3, then we can go ahead and we can probably rule that out for Christian Bale and Thor Love and Thunder. But it is a possibility but right now, I'm really—if we're looking at antagonists, there are two roles that I'm circling. One that I find really, really exciting. One that I don't find quite as exciting, but I would trust Tyka and, and Christian Bale's ability to, to elevate it. So I'm going to save my best for last. So let's go ahead with the uh, with the other one that I'm looking at, and that's a one, and that's one that a lot of people have pointed out: Dario Agger. Who the hell is Dario Agger? It's a perfectly good it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask, but I think the reason why there are multiple reasons why people are circling this role. He is a snotty, a-hole executive from the Roxxon Corporation. The Roxxon Corporation has a history in the MCU, not much of one, but it's been there. It's been more of an easter egg than anything else. You can see a Roxxon building in the first Iron Man film, The Mandarin or really Trevor Slattery pretends to, as we found out, he pretends to execute a Roxxon executive in Iron Man 3. The Roxxon Corporation is also present in Agent Carter, but it still has, again, Easter eggs in the movies. So it's already been established as having existed in the MCU. So that character, Dario Agar, actually plays a part in the very first story arc for the Jane Foster Thor in Jason Aaron's run. And of course, we obviously know that that's an influence here. And that character... It's not hard to see Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale factoring into the character of Dar- Dario Agar. And if you want something bigger and epic, you don't just want another suit and tie villain. I agree with you. I don't want another one of those either. Dario Agar is also the Minotaur, he also becomes this big, monstrous Minotaur that is a physically imposing villain. For both Thor's to fight, Odinson and the Mighty Thor, and as well as Valkyrie and anyone else. So that's a character. Again, it's not the most exciting choice to me. I'll get to my my favorite choice, uh, but I, I can't dismiss Dario Agger because there is a comic book basis for it, and it's not hard to see Christian Bale in that role. Although, of course, I would expect if they do this, they would beef up that part because it's not. It's pretty one-dimensional for the most part in that comic book. No disrespect to you, Jason Aaron. The reason why it's a little bit more one-dimensional is because there's another villain. Malakith is part of that story arc, is another villain there. So (sighs) you have to do a lot more with Dario Agar. It's not the most exciting choice, but it is something that I'm sure Bale could elevate if that's who he's playing. And Jason Aaron, by the way, did tweet that that's, of course, his pick for for Bale.
1: Mm. It would be be a good fit for him. I think another long shot would be or dark horse would be a flashback or something where when thor goes back to something back in time or something or maybe he travels to valhalla and he sees a younger version of his dad something like that i think there's potential there as well so um that's also kind of like my dark horse pick
0: yeah that's not a bad choice i mean although maybe they would just dh anthony hopkins i don't know (laughs) but uh Uh, My last uh, pick for Christian Bale right now, and watch him turn out to not be any of these characters, which is maybe the most likely scenario, but the one that excites me the most right now and has for the past day or so that I've been thinking about it is the Beyonder. Who is this character? Well, he's a big cosmic entity slash antagonist. He's the one new. You hear the Russo brothers talk about Secret Wars and how maybe they'll come back to Marvel Studios and do that one day. Well, Secret Wars involves the heroes being kidnapped and forced to fight one another on Battle World. Who's the one who kidnapped him? The Beyonder. And he comes back as even more of an antagonist in Secret Wars 2, and he actually takes on a human form. So he's not just this disembodied entity, and that's where Christian Bale would come into play. If the Beyonder takes a human form in the MCU, that could be Christian Bale. And so when we think about that, that Patrick Bateman type of thing that would be uh, potentially an influence on Dario Agger. That's what actually gets me excited about the Beyonder because it's cosmic Patrick Bateman. And so I don't think that the Beyonder would be kidnapping people and making them fight because that's a little too Thor Ragnarok with the Grandmaster and his contest of champions. But what would make the Beyonder really interesting is if you think about Grandmaster and Thor Ragnarok, he's a lot of fun and he's a lot of funny and he's, he's very funny because he's Jeff Goldblum, obviously, but he's not really that intimidating or that threatening. I mean, even as he melts his own cousin, he's not really scary. But Christian Bale, as he proved in American Psycho, he's got the ability to be absolutely hilarious and completely terrifying at the same time. And so that's what I could see them doing with the Beyonder. And I still lean toward a cosmic villain for this movie, because Tyka has also previously said that this movie is going to be bigger. It's going to be even more zany. Than Thor Ragnarok was, and so I don't. I, I know that a lot of the Jane Foster Thor stuff was Earthbound, but just because those comics were doesn't mean this movie is going to be. I mean, there are plenty of reasons that the story could take place on Earth. I mean, you've got New Asgard that's sitting there on Earth, and Valkyries there, and she's king, and Jane Foster, of course, is is from Earth, and so there's plenty of things that could tether the story to Earth, but. I feel like so much of Thor Ragnarok was about cutting those te- you know cutting all of those ties that are tethering Thor to Earth and to Asgard so that he could go elsewhere and so that's kind of what I see this story ha- how I see the story unfolding and Jane Foster and Valkyrie going out into the cosmos to meet up with Thor on some adventure somehow um or he goes back to Earth to get them for some reason or whatever it, it is however the setup is I still expect a big cosmic story. And so a big, powerful cosmic villain that would be a problem for even a team of two Thors and Valkyrie, the beyonder fits the bill for that. And I know there's there is obviously the question of, well, if the Russos are going to do secret wars one day and we don't know that they are, but let's just say for the sake of argument that they are, why would you take the villain from that story and use him in Thor Ragnarok? Well, the movie the stories that are adapted in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, are not like for like. Not everything is the same. Infinity War and Endgame are not the same as the Infinity Gauntlet. They just aren't. They do have the same main antagonist with Thanos, but the Beyonder, to me, doesn't strike me as as an exciting enough villain to build the next several years' worth of Marvel movies around the way Thanos was. I just don't think the Beyonder is that, at least not for me, even if he's played by Christian Bale, although I could be wrong about that. Bale's amazing. So I think that... When the MCU, if they do Secret Wars, it wouldn't surprise me if in the MCU version of Secret Wars, they borrow from Jonathan Hickman, whom they've borrowed from before, and have Doctor Doom be the main antagonist of a Secret Wars type of thing, or one of the main antagonists, which makes the Beyonder a free agent, which makes him available for a film like this in Thor Love and Thunder. So I I see there being room for that character here, and that is a choice that would really excite me for Christian Bale. Again, it doesn't have to be this I don't really care that much what character he plays because it's Christian Bale. He's probably my favorite actor. I think he's the greatest actor of his generation, or one of the greatest actors of his generation. He's absolutely one of the best working today. There's no doubt about that. He is phenomenal. And whatever character he plays, you know, we've talked about numerous examples over the years of how different actors and then also the stories, the directors, Kevin Feige and everybody else, the way they've elevated characters in the MCU, whatever character Christian Bale plays. I think he's going to elevate, but I would love to see him elevate a character like the Beyonder, who's already pretty cool.
1: Yeah, the Beyonder is. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Only because I just think it's too, it's too much, in my opinion. And I, I see your point. But and you I scale
0: him down. The MCU version is is scaled down and not as all not right. as all powerful as the. Uh, as the comic book version, just like the Infinity Gauntlet is not as out all, all powerful as the uh, as the movie as the movie version, yeah, or the movie version is not, right. is not as all powerful as the comic version.
1: But the only thing is, you would have to I don't I just I just don't see He would have to be not the main villain. He'd have to be like a like a like a not a set piece. He'd totally but, be
0: the main villain. He you need a well. you need a powerful villain. You're going up against two Thors and Valkyrie. I mean, like that's uh, and a, a and a Thor, the, including the, the Jane Foster Thor who in the comic books is more powerful than thor odinson? I mean, so you you need a villain to to match that.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is where this is where I see your your logic is is sound obviously. And I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong cuz you're right, but I also feel that there's potential of talking about multiverse of madness, I think there might be potential multiverses in this. Yeah. So it's I feel there's something more at play than than and then power levels needed and that's why i'm kind of like i don't know and, and beyonder is it's a lot it's a lot to take in in the comics he's not just you know there's multiple reasons for this character because there's also the john the hickman stuff you know the molecule man oh what if he's playing the molecule man oh my lord I think imagine that I'm trying to explain that character whoo but uh, but no. But with that being said, the last time I think the Beyonder was explained, maybe if you don't count Infinity, which Infinity is kind of long, is a long, long time ago, and they have the Beyonders or whatever. But he was basically an inhuman mutant, and by this is what Brian Bendis kind of set out, and it's it's actually a pretty cool uh, comic, I think it is anyway. It's the New Avengers Illuminati series, and they kind of it kind of chronicles the Illuminati. Behind the scenes of every Marvel event, and they go through Infinity Gauntlet, and then at one point they they tackle the Secret Wars and the Beyonder, and they kind of address what exactly this character is, and they essentially say that it's a mutant that went through that was an Inhuman, or in that in that uh, civilization of the Inhuman civilization, and they and they he goes through the Terr- Terrigen Mist. So it's like a mutant plus that, which equals this powerful being of the Beyonder, which I always love. That's a super marvel, and I love that. And um, obviously, I don't think they're going to go that route if that is Beyonder. But I think it's going to be like you said—you scale them down. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just—it just something seems just not quite right with that. But I. Would he, could he be a character that like you said could he be the beyonder and then show up in other films and just kind of be the background character and maybe he's the one moving the pieces around this is like the first segue into a secret war kind of film that's very possible as the main villain i don't i just don't see it but at but at the same time you have a a pick that i think is freaking genius and uh do you want to get into that? I don't know which one you think s- is
0: genius. I don't. I don't remember all my picks from yesterday. The Beyonder. Well, wait, wait.
1: I thought, but but no. Do you have one more you haven't said?
0: Uh, which one did I have? I not said yet.
1: Well, I guess I'll go so I will did and say it, which I which I don't think it's going to happen. But I would lose my goddamn mind, Doctor Doctor Doom. Yeah, man. yeah,
0: yeah. I forgot. Okay. Well, that's not just mine. I mean, I know we have some of our pals on the Discord also talking about it. Bill. has yeah. been on my shortlist for Doctor Doom, except he was on my. No way it'll be happened, but wouldn't it be cool shortlist? Yes, Christian Bale as Victor Von Doom would be unbelievable. It would be an ideal choice for that character. But I don't think Dr. Doom is in this movie. I mean, right now we have rumors and they are just rumors that need to be taken with a grain of salt. But rumors that Dr. Doom might be the antagonist of Black Panther 2. I don't think he's going to be the antagonist of Black Panther 2 and Thor Love and Thunder. I I don't think it's going to be that. So now maybe Dr. Doom is not in Black Panther 2 and that character is available and can be in Thor Love and Thunder. And I do think that Dr. Doom is going to be, when Dr. Doom is introduced in the MCU, I don't think it's going to be in a Fantastic Four movie. I think it's going to be somewhere else. And so could somewhere else be Thor Love and Thunder? It's possible, but I have a hard time getting too excited about that because I just don't feel like it's the most likely scenario. Bale would be outstanding, but I think there are other people that would also be great as Dr. Doom, so uh, it doesn't really really need to be that. And when I go to the idea of elevating characters, I mean, Christian Bale can, as as I said, I think he can elevate anyone, and Dr. Doom doesn't necessarily need to be elevated. He just needs to be played really well. And so I think there are a lot of other actors who could do a a great job with Dr. Doom. It would be awesome if it happens. I just don't think that's uh, it's going to be the case although I do think Doctor Doom is more likely in my eyes anyway than another popular Marvel villain in Norman Osborn. I just don't see I that's another suggestion I've seen. I just don't know how Norman Osborn is going to fit in a Thor movie and we also haven't seen Sony being willing to lend Spider-Man characters to other to Marvel movies that Spider-Man is not a part of. So, you know, cuz Ryan Coogler wanted Craven in the first Black Panther movie, and that wasn't allowed to happen. So I don't. If they wouldn't lend out Craven for Black Panther, I don't think they're going to lend out Norman Osborne for Thor, Love, and Thunder. And I don't see why Norman Osborne would be in that movie anyway. But yeah, Doctor Doom, super cool, super fun pick. The reason why I wasn't sure uh, what you were referring to there is because I'm. As cool as it is, I also pretty much dismissed it because I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But it would be unbelievably cool if, if that's who Bale was playing.
1: Yeah, I think that would be that would be a dream cast and and rad but it, it seems too uh, too good to be true if that makes any sense
0: yeah but that's okay because doctor doom is going to be in the MCU at some point and i know they're going to find an outstanding actor to play that part as great as christian bale is and he's great he's not the only great actor working today so they can find there are other options for doctor doom who would be outstanding so the most important thing to me is that Christian Bale is going to be in, based on this report from Collider. It looks like Christian Bale is going to be the in the MCU, and the MCU, uh, it's going to be even better when you have a person of Christian Bale's talent, of his act, of his caliber as an actor, coming into this universe. That's just going to make it even better than it already was, and it's already been incredible. I mean, my two favorite franchises in my life for movies are the MCU and Batman. And now Christian Bale, my favorite actor, might get to be a part of both of them. Already did an unbelievable job as Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy. And to have him now joining the MCU, it's just a really cool feeling as a fan. And I can't wait to find out who he's playing. But again, it just goes back to that point. It doesn't really matter because whoever it is, Christian Bale is going to do an outstanding job. So here we are now an hour into this show just about, and uh, we haven't even talked about our main topic. These were just supposed to be the news topics that we went through before we got to our featured 2020 preview discussion, but uh, we are still going to do that. But before we do, let's get into our first round of announcements. Now, I know you hear me talk about the Patreon, the show, and don't hit the skip button on your podcast player. Don't skip ahead 15 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever it is because this is different than it's been before because it's a brand new year and we have a brand new tier structure on the Patreon. And it includes brand new exclusive podcast series that we've never done before. And we've also taken some of the exclusive podcast series that we've had in the past and we've made them available for less, including our quarterly commentary tracks where we did Spider-Man Far From Home a few months ago. We just released an exclusive commentary track for Avengers Infinity War, and those are available for just a dollar a month, and we put out a brand new one each and every quarter. Our Patreon-exclusive Discord, which you hear us brag about all the time, and rightfully so because we've got such an amazing group of really fun, really enthusiastic, and really engaged Marvel fans who are talking Marvel with us every single day over there, that's now available for just $2 a month. And we've also got some really cool events coming up on our Discord. On Tuesday, January 14th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, I'm going to be hosting an Iron Man 2 watch party exclusively on our Discord. And that's the first of two watch parties this month because on Tuesday, January 28th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, I'm going to be hosting a watch party for the Avengers. And I hope to see as many of you there as possible as members of our Patreon-exclusive Discord community. And with all the exclusive audio that we do, you do get a private RSS link. So if you subscribe to our Patreon and you're getting the exclusive shows, whether it's the quarterly commentary tracks that I talked about, the Patreon credit scenes that we've been doing for the past couple years where it's an extra topic on top of the main show that's also available in our entry level tier for a dollar a month. This week we're going to be talking about the new Mutants trailer or if you get the Monday through Friday news show the Daily Bugle that we do or the brand new Marvelous Moments series where we're going to be doing where I'm going to be doing scene breakdowns from Marvel movies whatever exclusive audio you get depending on what tier you choose You will get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe via RSS so you get all of your content from Marvel Studios News in one place. You don't have to track it down in multiple feeds. So for more information on all of the different tiers that we have, all of the different exclusive shows that we offer, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And while I'm on the subject of the Patreon, I do have some people to thank. Thank you very much to Carolyn, who actually hosts a podcast that I really enjoy called The Disney Download. If you, like me, enjoy following Disney news, Disney parks news, and even a little bit of Marvel, you should really check out The Disney Download. Carolyn and her co host Tiffany do a really great job over there. Thank you as well to Raina Williams, Ed Solier or Solier. Sorry if I butchered that name. Thank you as well to Slick Rick, Megan Smith, and Brad Gillespie for joining our Patreon community and supporting this show. We really do appreciate it. Okay, that's it for the Patreon business. Let's get back to our 2020 preview, or let's actually start it, Paul. So the stories that I'm looking, and this this is just going to be about some of the stories that we're looking forward to in 2020. And one of the questions that I have, and I think a lot of people have going into this year, Paul, is how our audience is going to respond to this new era, because we reached this crescendo with avengers endgame being the culmination of 11 years worth of movies and 22 with endgame 23 when you count spider-man far from home as the epilogue there and so what's the appetite going to be for these marvel movies and for these marvel shows in 2020 i do think 2019 will probably represent a little bit of a peak because black panther or sorry not black panther black widow and eternals i mean they're not going to do they're not going to do anything close to endgame business But I do think these are going to be pretty popular films. I I don't expect there's always going to be some ebb and flow since the Marvel Cinematic Universe just continues to run each and every year with several installments now each and every year. So there will be some ebb and flow in the popularity. But I do think audiences are going to respond positively to this new era. I I think in 2020 we are going to see that Marvel Studios is ready to keep things rolling.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a really... uh interesting year for multiple reasons and i think having a something like black widow um coming out it's going to really show us and uh, i kind of where these characters stand without being in avengers like, like for you know hawkeye or whatever and i think it'll be successful it remains to be seen how successful but the movie looks like a lot of fun obviously and it, it you know we we're, we're going to see how much you can spin off from a character in in a film or a TV series and how, you know, how you build them up through the films, how can that correlate into their own film or whatever? And I think black widow is, is the first kind of extreme example of that because it's, it's been a long time. She's been built up through all these different films, never her own film. And now that she's finally getting it, what, you know, what kind of benefits can Marvel reap from that? I mean, I think they will be, it'll, it'll do really well, but just how well and how successful will it be remains to be seen. And I'm really excited to see how where exactly does the mainstream audience go or how they'll react to this because it is not a mainstream character. It's now a mainstream character, or it wasn't, and now it is. And how can that benefit into their own film and how successful can it be? It just we just don't know because we don't have a, a way to gauge it at this point. And I think that's what's really fascinating is that this might inform them how they can develop other characters in these team up films. These or these team films and say, okay, now we can offshoot this person. Cause right now it was the exact opposite, right? We had their own films. They all teamed up and they went back to their own separate films. Now it's, we built up this character through all these, you know, team up films. Now they they can, can they carry themselves in their own film? Let's find out. And if black widow can do that, then you're going to see maybe a change potentially in how they develop and market their characters as far as can you know what can we do with this franchise you may if if this is successful you may see a rocket or drax or or whatever offshoot film or a nebula film potentially the door then opens a lot further um further for these characters In in any character going forward, I think that to me is what this film represents. For as far as along with obviously more female representation of main characters and whatnot in the superhero genre, which is great. So that to me is what you know with this opening that door. What will that mean for other characters that you know? Again, not just decide characters we're getting now or that already established, but that we don't have yet maybe already and what that means for the even more diversity of kinds of characters we're going to get for uh Marvel films going forward. So there's a lot riding on, I think black widow um, more than we probably realize in my opinion. So I think it's a very important year from a business standpoint, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge year from, from pretty much every standpoint, I mean, in terms of the audience interest and ultimately that's going to translate to the business side of things. But I think the appetite is pretty big for Black Widow. I I don't think that most of the world thinks the way that some people do on the internet where this is too late for this movie. If they were going to do it, they should have done it years ago. Maybe they should have done it years ago. But even Scarlett Johansson herself pointed out that she wouldn't have been able to do what she's doing in this movie now if they had done it earlier because she wouldn't know as much about the character. She wouldn't have been through as much with the character. And so I, I think the audience is so invested in Black Widow And also knowing that this may be the last time they get to see her in a brand new movie. I mean, this is a character that, as we all know, is presently dead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so this might be the last time to see her in a movie for the first time. Maybe it's not going to be. In fact, it's probably not going to be. But we don't know what the future is for this character. And as of right now, there isn't necessarily a future. So people, I think, want to have one last look at Black Widow and go on this solo adventure with Natasha Romanoff and, and learn more about this character, continue to build an even stronger connection with this character. And so I think it's going to do very well. But all of those things that I, I think positively about Black Widow, they also point to how Black Widow isn't really, to me, from on the, on the movie side of things, it's not the biggest story of 2020 for Marvel Studios. Because Black Widow... Is still kind of even though it's phase four and it's listed there in phase four. And, and Kevin Feige has teased it's going to have things, there are going to be things that happen in this movie that set up the future of the MCU. That's part of it. But there's also a big part of the story in terms of the time period in which it's set that is during the Infinity Saga. That's not necessarily part of phase four. So, yes, it's phase four, but it's also kind of the Infinity Saga, too. Eternals is the one that really launches phase four in, in a lot of ways for me. Although, I guess you could say Falcon and Winter Soldier will do that uh, even before Eternals on Disney Plus. But on the big screen, Eternals in many ways kind of represents uh, it, it's maybe Black Widow is still technically the beginning of the new era, but Eternals then is at least also the beginning of a new era. These are brand new characters who, as far as we know, and maybe we'll find out, but as far as we know, they haven't had connections to the MCU. I mean, they, they, they're eternal. They've been present during all of this, but we haven't seen what they've been up to. It's a brand new group of characters that audiences are going to be meeting for the first time ever, and it has this unbelievable cast, and Chloe Zhao directing it, who I'm very, very excited about. I can't wait to see what they do with this movie. And what was also really encouraging about this, though is Fandango released their list, their user surveys about the most anticipated films of 2020. Wonder Woman 1984 took the top spot. Black Widow was second. And third was Eternals. Now that's really significant. I know you could say third place is not... That is not great. But look, Wonder Woman, obviously people love that first film. And so that's why pe- and the trailer for Wonder Woman 84 was great. And that's why people are so hyped for that film. I think that's why it's number one. It's not a knock on Black Widow or the Eternals. Black Widow is a more established character in the MCU. Obviously, that's why it's it's ahead of the Eternals. But let's also consider that the Eternals being in third place is ahead of the new James Bond movie. It's ahead of whatever Fast and Furious movie. It's ahead of these other bigger franchises and other sequels and that's on the strength of i think really only two things it's on the strength of marvel as a brand and it's on the strength of this cast that's it because the the world doesn't know anything about this movie they don't know who the eternals are they don't even really know the concept of this movie they barely know what celestials are because of you know little clues from guardians of the galaxy and guardians of the galaxy volume 2 really don't know much about it and yet the anticipation is so high. People know that this is a Marvel movie with new characters and it has this unbelievable cast with Angelina Jolie and Salma Hayek and Kumail Nanjiani and Brian Tyree Henry. It's just, there's so little that the audience knows and yet it's it comes in third on the list. And that's when they released that list, it was still, what, maybe 10, 11 months before the movie is actually going to be in theaters this November. The appetite for Marvel is pretty huge and I, and I think we're going to see... That the train's just going to keep on rolling with some ebb and flow, as I said, but I think we're going to see it continuing to roll in 2020, and that will now include the small screen. So as we look at Disney Plus, I think the questions on on this Paul, are, you know, what does a Marvel Studios produced show look like? We know what it looks like when Marvel Television shows mm-hmm. try to sort of make it look like it's all connected, but what does it happen when it's when Marvel Studios is producing it and it's for real? on the small screen in the MCU what does that mm-hmm. look like and we know these shows are going to have massive budgets the biggest show the biggest budgets that anything on the small screen ever gets and maybe even bigger than that still but will it be will it be able to look comparable to the films will our perception of the production value remain the same based on what we expect after watching these movies i think it's going to i mean in looking at how they were able to pull off the mandalorian for star wars i do think that these shows are going to look pretty polished. I think they're going to look really really great. And I I expect just based on Marvel Studios track record as storytellers when we sit down to watch The Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision later this year, I think we're going to see uh, I think we're going to have a comparable experience to what we see on the big screen in terms of the visual quality, but also what the the power of the storytelling.
1: I have no doubt that the TV shows for Marvel the Marvel Studios is going to be producing will be quality enough for as, or on the same level as the films. And I think with, especially because if you compare it to the Mandalorian, again, I talked about how Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, the, the executive producers of that show were basically using brand new technology and are using, they're, they're in a different universe essentially, right? That's what they're doing. And so we, we know that the Falcon, Winter soldier isn't exactly going to be, again I talked about WandaVision there's not going to be a high a need for a high budget for overall settings whereas Mandalorian you're using uh, you know g- video game engines to desi- basically show and landscapes and other worldly things so as far as capturing the the essence of the films I don't I, I think that Marvel has a, a higher advantage than Star Wars does as far as that goes and i think that's not going to be an issue i think every, everything's going to feel very right i i just i just i have a hard time thinking it it, it won't just because kevin Feige's behind it and he's ushering in everything the only difference is is, is how is the pacing going to turn out and i think that's the the, the difference with all these shows at like the mandalorian and and any even the marvel shows now the pacing and things like that how what exactly how long are the episodes going to be if they're they're as long as the Mandalorian that means they're going to be about what 30 to 40 minutes long somewhere between there so there's a lot to be the pacing is going to be my biggest issue I don't think it's going to lack in looks and design and and quality as far as that goes it's the pacing and the in the writing as far as how much they show per episode and what they do and the stakes the stakes is another one how much how much how high are the stakes in this in these shows We don't know. And that's going to be the telltale sign of how these shows and how consequential they'll be. And I think they will be hugely uh, impactful, obviously. And I think they're going to be, in in my opinion, we're going to see lots of introductions in this Falcon Winter Soldier show. So to me, I don't think the quality as far as the set designs and the costumes and all that's going to be spared it's basically it's basically going to be in the pacing and the sacrificing of the storytelling and how long the episodes are, what's going to be sacrificed in that. And if that's going to be a good sacrifice, and you can make you have to make sacrifices in these productions. You worked in productions. There's always
0: sacrifices. You're you, That's that's inevitable. Well, no matter how much money you have, you never have enough. So that's exactly that's just so, the way that stuff goes.
1: Yeah. So there's going to be sacrifices made. Where are the sacrifices? Where where they make their sacrifices at, will they be the right ones? And that remains to be seen. And I think they will be because Kevin Feige hasn't let us down yet and has. I have no reason to think he's not going to let me down now. So, or he's going to let me down now. So I have full confidence this will be fine.
0: Well, and it's worth noting that a huge part of what's caused Marvel Studios' production costs to balloon over the years has been, as Feige has pointed out, those above-the-line costs. And that's... That's, a lot of that's the talent. It's the actor salaries. Robert Downey Jr., not in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Not, I mean, I don't think he's going to show up in there. Certainly not starring in it. Not starring in Wandavision either. I mean, when you look at who's starring in these shows, yes, Anthony Mackey is a movie star. Sebastian Stam, a movie star been in these movies, been in these Marvel movies for a long time. Same thing for Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, but they're not commanding the same types of salaries as Hemsworth or Downey or Johansson or Evans so that goes a long way in saving money that isn't really sacrificing production value in a way that you perceive and there's all kinds of ways to to max to stretch your dollars on this and because even though these shows are going to have massive budgets I mean some have been reported beginning as much as 25 million dollars an episode Mandalorian I think it was reported that that averaged about 15 million an episode and so you add that up And you say, well, on a per hour basis, that's still not as much as the movies are getting, but you're saving money on the above the line costs. And there's all kinds of other places to save money because when you build a set, you just shoot more scenes on the set. It's not that the set looks any cheaper than the ones you build for movies, but you just, you spend more of your time there. But you just want to make sure you're not wasting time. You're not stalling for time. And that's where I think these shows are going to be okay though. We don't really know what the run times are going to be. We have heard that, They've been described as an hour because we know that most of these are going to be six episodes, not eight like The Mandalorian. And we've heard them referred to as being six hours. We've heard that from multiple people who are associated with these shows in various interviews. But I think when they say six hours, to me, it's more of an approximation. They don't know what the runtimes are for these episodes yet. That's not finalized until you shoot it, you edit it, you finish the show, and then you figure out how long it is. Just like The Mandalorian, that was also talked about as being... Hour long episodes, but by the time they were done with it, those episodes ranged from 30 to 40 minutes. And some of them, I think one or two of them, even under 30 minutes, uh, unless you, uh, if you don't count the credits. So I don't, I'm not really too worried about the run times. I, I think the main point is going to be that that whatever's there and on the screen is going to be meaningful. It's going to be important. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be something that you are going to enjoy as a viewer, whether it's a 40 minute episode or an hour long episode or whatever but i do like the idea of marvel being able to tell stories in a different way and have a longer form narrative within an individual story arc because obviously marvel's very comfortable with serial with longer with long form serialized narratives that's what the infinity saga is but each of those individual chapters each of those 23 chapters has to be its own standalone kind of thing not every episode of a series has to be completely standalone and they can connect and have cliffhangers between episodes and things like that. So it is a different type of storytelling and a different structure for Marvel studios, but I think they're up to that challenge and I, and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with it. And I also like that their episode counts, uh, regardless of what the runtimes end up being, that their episode counts are lower with six episodes You're not going to have the stalling of the 13-episode Netflix series. And also, truth be told, I mean, with eight episodes of The Mandalorian, and I love that show, there were a couple episodes mid-season where they were just doing Adventure of the Week and weren't really propelling forward the story arc. I mean, you can actually cut out two episodes of The Mandalorian and transfer the little bits about the main story into other episodes. You could actually do that with Mandalorian. I don't think Marvel is going to have those types of episodes, and I think that's part of why... Their episode counts are six instead of eight. So I like the way these things are set up. I like the potential of them, and I'm excited to see what they look like. And I I love that we're getting two different examples now this year instead of just one. As cool as that, I think that's going to be with Falcon and Winter Soldier. And now we're adding in WandaVision to all of this. Hey, everyone. Sean Gerber here with a quick production note. Sorry to pause the show, but... For the rest of this episode, the audio is going to sound a little different and not quite as good. I apologize for that. We had technical difficulties for the remaining portion of the episode. Paul and I record our audio separately, but there was an issue with his audio recording for the remainder of the episode. So I had to use the backup recording via Skype, which doesn't sound as good as when Paul and I record our audio individually so i apologize for the audio quality not quite being up to the level of the rest of the episode but i believe you would want to hear the rest of the conversation so it's worth playing for you anyway apologies again and enjoy the rest of the show and the next one i want to talk about is filling in the blanks we have we still have open release dates in 2022 that we don't know about for marvel there are four release dates in 2022 We only know one of them in May is Black Panther 2. We don't know about the other three. And there are four open release dates in 2023. So this just begs the question of how many of these blanks are going to be filled in. I don't know how many we're going to... I don't think any of them are really going to be filled in all that soon. Uh, But we we might have to wait until Marvel Studios presumably goes back to Hall H at Comic-Con in July. But I'll ask you, Paul, we've got these seven open release dates for Marvel Studios... By the end of the year, how many do you think will be filled? End of the year? Yeah. Three for 2022, four for 2023. Do you think we're going to get all seven or just the 2022 crop?
1: I think it's 2022. I think that there's – I think they're they're going to wait and see how things are, are shaping out with everything, with TV shows, with – again, one of the things that I think Kevin Feige has done has done a great job of anticipating and also being able to shift around when he needs to, like with Spider-Man being added into the mix and where does Spider-Man fall into all this? And will there be a Spider-Man four after Spider-Man three, everyone says, Oh, this is the end. This is the end. And I don't believe it when I see it at this point. Right. So I think that we're, you know, again, why announce things like DC did years ago where you pretty much don't release any of it. And Mm -hmm. So to me, it makes more sense to announce things that are more in line or more concrete than announce a bunch of things and a bunch of release dates when you potentially have to go back. Because look at look at Inhumans, right? We never got Inhumans.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's that's only one out of several films that they announced for phase three. And, and we did get two that weren't initially announced. So we actually we were actually net plus one on <laughs> on, on movies announced for phase three. We're actually net plus two because of you got Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Far From Home.
1: Yeah, so those were two, like, again, you don't want to put yourself in a corner and say, oh, just kidding, there's two more, you know? I think to me, you just kind of wait and see. And I think that, because you don't know what the, again, the TV shows may blow up, maybe they won't. I'm not saying they won't at all, but you just never know. You, you want to always have a backup plan or, or something like that. So the way I see it is they... They, they just release what they, what, what they have to to kind of get the balls rolling for marketing and, and getting people excited about things. That's where I'd go. That's where my money's on anyway.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they're going to announce all seven. I, I don't think the reason for that is because they're not sure if they're going to actually fill all seven dates. They're totally going to do it. All four of those. There will be four Marvel Studios movies in 2022. There will be four in 2023. Everything's going to be fine on that front. I think the reason why you don't announce everything is because you don't have to. And my sense has been that Marvel Studios is not going to do, at least not for a while, and they may never do it again, is do another El Capitan presentation that they did in 2014 where they announced four and a half years worth of movies. They announced an entire phase of movies. I don't think they're going to do that again because then what happens for those next four and a half years? You can't announce anything because you have to end the other story and so I don't really think Marvel Studios is is going to put themselves in that position again at least not so soon I think that's why they only announced projects through 2021 and they were still able by the way to announce several projects I mean we got several from 2020 across 2020 and 2021 and then one for 2022 with Black Panther 2 and so I I think when you look at Comic-Con this year and you say well there are seven projects that are open, and they announced several projects in at Comic-Con in 2019, so it stands to reason seven's not that high of a number for us to get all seven of those filled in, and maybe some additional Disney Plus shows or at least approximate release dates or premiere dates for Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk, which we don't currently have. Maybe we'll get some of that, but it, even though it's not outside the realm of possibility for me to see them filling in all seven dates, it's also important to consider the difference between Comic-Con in 2019 versus what Comic-Con would be in 2020. Comic-Con in 2019 had to be all about announcements. You know why? They didn't have a lot of footage to show. They, o- they were only in production on Black Widow. That's all that they could show. They couldn't show anything else. And so it, the, the whole presentation had to be carried by announcements. That's not the case in 2020. Let's consider what they could show footage from in 2020 to fill up time during that presentation. So Eternals will not be out yet. So they can do a full panel, show brand new footage for the Eternals. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, probably not on Disney Plus yet. So they can do a full panel, show brand new exclusive footage for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Same thing for WandaVision, same thing for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, same thing for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and also Loki on Disney+, Plus. also What If on Disney+, Plus. probably Hawkeye from Disney+, Plus. all kinds of things that they could show exclusive footage from and have the stars come out and do panels and all of those things. So there's so much footage that they can show exclusively in Hall H at Comic-Con this year, that, and that's going to take up so much of the time that they don't necessarily need to devote a bunch of time to announcements. So they could just fill in those three blanks for 2022, maybe announce a couple extra Disney Plus series, and also announce specifically who's going to be uh, or what the title of the Black Panther sequel is going to be. Maybe finally announce who the villain of that movie is going to be. And then Thor Love and Thunder, if it's not starting production until August of this year, there won't be any footage they could show at Comic-Con. But what they could do is show concept art. They've done that before. In the absence of footage, they've showed concept art. Maybe confirm that Christian Bale is in the movie and confirm who he's playing in the movie. Maybe we won't find out what that is until Comic-Con of this year. So there's so many other things that Marvel can do to bulk up its presentation without having to announce seven different movies and fill in those release dates. Because if they save those 2023 release dates, or at least a couple of them, That just gives them other things they can announce at Comic Con in 2021 or spread that across Comic Con and and another D23 Expo in 2021. So, I don't, they don't necessarily need to announce everything at Comic Con this year. And so that's why I'm not counting on them actually doing it. What I do hope we will see something from, in terms of an announcement this year, whether it's at Comic Con or someone else, I hope we get an official announcement of our first. Formerly Fox licensed project, whether that's Fantastic Four, X Men, something else to do with mutants, Deadpool. I, I do hope, Paul, that before this year is over, we find out about at least one project that stars that that centers on a character or characters who used to be licensed by Fox. I hope we get something along those lines in 2020.
1: And I hope it's not just Deadpool. No, nothing against Deadpool for the most part, but. I want Fantastic 4. I want Agreed. something in that. I want something in that world. You
0: give me the FF I'll be happy. I'll shut up. Yeah.
1: I mean that's to me that's what you need to do. It's been you know, it's been a long time now since so we had a Fantastic 4 film. It's the wounds are healed. Let's let's just move on and let's start with that because I feel that's going to be the, the 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 best thing going forward as far as that goes. And you've already got new mutants coming out and Mutants are still kind of lasting around, and Deadpool. So, go with FF, or even Silver Surfer. Go, go cosmic. Because now, with with that, with those characters, or that universe that you own, now you can introduce even more characters than that. So, there's a lot of possibilities, and I think that give me something like that. That was actually another
0: fan suggestion for Christian Bale. By the way, was Silver Surfer and Love
1: and Thunder, dude?
0: It's pot, dude. It it wasn't my idea, but I really like it.
1: That's. That's a I, that's my that's my favorite right now. That's what I want him to be. Can you imagine? That would, that would
0: be unbelievable.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I think to me they got it's got to go
0: with you got to go with an FF
1: character, Silver Surfer or Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for. I would be happy to. Uh, Deadpool would feel a little anticlimactic because Ryan Reynolds has already said, "Yeah, we're working on Deadpool." He even before he went on live with Kelly and Ryan to talk about that a couple weeks ago. He was on uh, or on his own social media. He posted that photo of himself at Marvel Studios. We already know that's coming. I want to see the Fantastic Four. That's the one that I'm really counting on, and I would love to have an official update on the Fantastic Four sometime this year from uh, from Marvel Studios. And maybe they can also confirm that Blade is one of those 2022 movies, probably that October one, if, uh, if we had to guess. So another story that I'm looking forward to, because there's something that we really, we still don't know much about. It's been almost three months as we record this episode, almost three months since we found out that Kevin Feige had an additional job title, Chief Creative Officer, comma, Marvel. And his creative responsibilities now include publishing, which includes comic books. We have heard about, and many of these were things that we already assumed because of the way things had been going, we've heard about changes happening at Marvel Television we still have not heard about any impact that kevin feige's leadership is making on the publishing division and on the the comic book line and i would love to know uh, i would love to know if we're going to see any of that impact in 2020 I, I certainly understand why if you're going down the list of things how of course he's of course he has to keep his focus on the movies that they're making in the disney plus shows and then he's got to look at television and what they're doing with that, which is pretty much absorbing all of it and, and eliminating most of that, and just focusing on what they're doing for as Marvel Studios. But we still haven't heard about the comic book division. And I understand why it would probably take him a little bit longer to get to that, but at some point he's going to. And I'm not saying I expect Kevin Feige to make these broad, sweeping changes across the entire comic book publishing division, but. If he's not, if he wasn't going to make any changes at all, if he wasn't going to have any impact, why would it be added to his responsibilities? There's going to be something. And so I'm curious to see if we will see any sign of that in 2020 and what those signs might be.
1: Yeah, this is something something that I have, like you said, I have no idea what that's going to be and when exactly do we, will we even see a change? And I don't know. I'm I'm under the impression we probably won't see much of a change. He might just let people kind of do their thing and- Sit, sit back a little bit, but I don't know, but we'll see. That's kind of the, the amazing thing about this next year is what creative decisions is he going to be behind the, the publishing side, which to me means the comics. So again, what gets canceled what gets stays on what it very is very fascinating. I have, I literally have no idea. And what we're going to find out probably mid year, I think if, 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 if there's going to be any big changes, we'll know by mid year.
0: Yeah. No, I think we'll, well, maybe it won't be the middle of the year. Who knows? At some point though, we're going to have to hear about something, or at least I would would presume. Another thing that's going to be really exciting if you can make it to Anaheim this year is that in the summer of 2020, we are getting Avengers Campus. I was just at the park this past weekend. There's still a lot of walls up, so you can't really see what's in there, but you can see where the Doctor Strange stage show is going to be. You can see the makings of the big Avengers store that they're going to have there. And I know that there's going to be the, the PIM Test Kitchen from the Ant-Man franchise. There's also going to be that Spider-Man web attraction. I know the big e-ticket Avengers attraction is still years away. But after seeing what they were able to do with Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland and, and really enjoying that, I also can't wait to check out Avengers Campus this summer. And I just love seeing Marvel Studios or, or Marvel in general Have an expanding presence, have a larger presence at the parks. I know there are a lot of people out there who are traditionalists. They don't love uh, seeing a lot of Marvel at the parks. They don't even love seeing a lot of Star Wars at the parks outside of Star Tours, but this is all part of the Disney family, and there's still plenty of original Disney stuff throughout these parks. But I really want to see more Marvel in the parks. It's nice having Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. And it's nice having the little store that they have attached to Mission Breakout as you exit the ride. But I really can't wait to be hanging out in Avengers Campus. And I, I got an annual pass for the first time in a little while because of Galaxy's Edge. And now uh, I'm, I'm going back to the park a lot. But you can expect to find me there pretty much all summer. Once Avengers Campus opens, and I'm probably going to have to get you down here, Paul, because I know you haven't even been to Galaxy's Edge either. So once both of those are open, Avengers Campus and Galaxy's Edge, you're going to have to get down here.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We'll we'll talk later. There's been some developments on (laughs) that. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out.
0: And uh, another thing that uh, one more story that before we each talk about uh, what we're looking forward to most this year. One more story to look out for is, of course, Sony. What's going to happen with this studio? There's speculation every year that Sony's going to get bought, so that's nothing new. I don't really want to focus so much on that. But how does the SUMC perform? How does Sony's universe of Marvel characters perform this year? Yes, they had a big hit with Venom, and that's great. But all that means is they have one-hit film that might be able to sustain itself as a hit franchise for a relatively short period of time. That's it. We don't know if they we won't know if they have a universe until we see what happens this year with Morbius and then of course with Venom 2. But if even if Venom 2 succeeds, if Morbius flops, then all it means is they've got a successful Venom franchise. It doesn't mean they have a universe. And of course we know that as the SUMC goes so potentially could Spider-Man and his future in the MCU. It certainly could have an impact. Now, when they made the announcement about Spider-Man staying in the MCU, even Kevin Feige himself acknowledged that Spider-Man is the character who can go back and forth between universes and and kind of tease the idea of Spider-Man having a part to play in the MCU and perhaps the SUMC as well. But that's not going to happen if there is no SUMC. And I also think that, the S U M C is a critical part of Sony's business and whether or not that studio is ever going to be bought in the first place or whether or not, or how willing they might be to sell the Spider-Man rights back to Disney and Marvel. A lot of these questions and a lot of that speculation, it's all still out there and there's still, we still don't have enough information to really get a picture or get a good sense of how these things are going to go, but we will have a lot more information throughout this year as we see how these next two SUMC projects perform.
1: Yeah, I yeah, a lot to riding on Morbius and Venom 2. If I think anything spider is going to be somewhat successful, um even Spider-Verse wasn't a huge success financially, it still did
0: okay. See, but Morbius isn't as obviously Spider-Man or as obviously associated with Spider-Man as Venom.
1: Right, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I think Morbius and Venom 2 are Gigantic. If those just do okay, then I think that Spider-Man will stay in the MCU. If those do really, really well, if Morbius exceeds expectations or meets expectations, and Venom Two does close to what it did last time, then it's then yeah, they're gonna push Spider-Man in in the in their new in their own universe. But if both those don't do great or just do okay, then they're probably gonna keep Spider-Man in the MCU. So it sucks because I don't want to see the movies because I don't want to support Sony and (laughs) whatever. But at the same time, I don't get these movies for free and I, I still want to see them. So I'm like, kind of, I'm dead if I do. I'm dead if I don't. So
0: it's well. You can justify it to yourself because you're gonna talk about them on this podcast. So you have a you have a professional reason to see them. You're not seeing them for your heart. You're seeing them for your business interest. That's it. So uh, you're just being a consummate professional when you go see uh, Morbius and, and Venom two this year. Although. I got to say, I'm curious in a positive way about Venom 2 with Andy Serkis directing that movie, and I didn't like the first Venom at all, so uh, I am curious to see what they will do with the sequel, and I kind of think that it has the potential to be better as long as everybody's on the same page because I don't think everybody was on the same page with the first one, so we'll see what happens with there, but again, Morbius is the one that I'm so much more curious about as far as how it's going to perform because... We already know that Venom can potentially be a hit franchise, but what makes it what makes a cinematic universe or a shared universe is having multiple hit franchises. So Morbius also needs to land if Sony is really going to further their interest with respect to the SUMC. So it'll be very interesting to see how that movie performs. So those are all, I think those are most of the major things that we're keeping an eye on. There's certainly a lot more than that. But before I get into our next and last round of announcements, Paul. I'm curious if there's one thing that you're looking forward to the most this year with respect to Marvel Studios and the MCU. It could be a movie, could be a show, could be a news story you're anticipating. uh, What stands out to you the most this year that uh, you're keeping an eye out for in in 2020?
1: Probably Falcon and Winter Soldier because I think this is going to be pushing the, the lore of the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward the most. I think that WandaVision will be a, a lot of setup for dr. strange and and and, and again, I, I'm, those two things are probably my most things I'm looking forward to. but I would say Captain I the mean, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier because I think we're going to get obviously the Falcon cap or at least a hint of Falcon cap in this movie in this show, and we're going to get potentially a setup for a Falcon Cap, uh, Falcon cap movie. And also Baron Zemo, what he represents and what he'll probably be hinted at with Thunderbolts potentially with that franchise being set up. Um, obviously, u s. agent is gonna be in the in the show, which is awesome. I love u s. agent in the comics. so John Walker. So there's a lot to me, that show is is what I'm looking forward to from a comic book fan standpoint because there's so many, so many ties. To the uh, comic books that I loved reading as a kid, in that show. So that probably is my number one with Wandavision. After that, because Wandavision just sounds insane. So I'm very curious how they pull that off. If 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 they're gonna be able to pull it off, I think they will. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. So that those are the two things I'm looking forward to the most.
0: Yeah, I would say I would say Falcon Winter Soldier is definitely high on my list, especially seeing because I think it's gonna happen in the show. The first shot of Sam Wilson in his new Captain America costume. Very high on my list of things I can't wait to see in 2020. It's really hard to pick one thing. I mean, I certainly lean towards the actual content that we're going to get. So when I think about my list of, of the things I'm looking forward to the most, yes, the news stories are fun. Finding out who Christian Bale is playing in Thor, Love and Thunder, finding out what movies are going to be on what open release dates we have from Marvel Studios all that is really, really exciting. It always is. But the number one thing for me is when I get to sit down and watch a brand new Marvel Studios story. So it really comes down to Black Widow, Falcon and Winter Soldier, The Eternals, and WandaVision. And so it's really hard to pick from those four. I mean, my default answer would actually be Black Widow because I'm looking forward to all of them. And Black Widow just so happens to be the next one that we're going to see. So I would probably put that at the top of my list. But I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna I'm gonna choose the Eternals as the thing I'm looking forward to the most this year because of all the things that we that we're getting this year, this is the one that's completely brand new. These are the characters we have not met before in the MCU. What does it mean to have the Eternals in the MCU? Who are these characters? I can't wait to meet them. And I'm really excited about the direct I mean, this cast is outstanding, as I mentioned before. In Chloe Zhao, who made an un- who made just an outstanding film in the writer, and I just think she is the most exciting director hire I've seen from Marvel Studios since Ryan Coogler for Black Panther. I, I really have a lot of faith in her, and I can't wait to see what she does with The Eternals. And right behind The Eternals is probably WandaVision, because again, it's just that curiosity of what is this show? And that would probably be my top pick, and the only reason it's not is because even though I expect to see brand new things from Wanda and Vision, we still have seen uh, quite a bit of them in the MCU to date. We We do not know the Eternals, and that's the one thing this year that is completely full of brand new characters and a brand new story and a brand new concept that has not been part of the MCU before. So there's a huge curiosity with that, and also really high expectations based on a lot of really talented people not just, the direct, not, the, not just the director, not just the cast, but there are a lot of other really talented people working on that film, and I can't wait to get a look at it. We're probably going to get the first teaser sometime before Black Widow, so that way it can be in theaters when Black Widow is, uh, arrives on May 1st, but I, I can't wait to see what Eternals even looks like in a trailer and then to see the, the actual film itself. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put Eternals at the top of my list, but it is followed very, 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 very closely by WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Black Widow. So that's it for our 2020 preview, except we've got a lot more coming up on the podcast over really the course of the next several months. So what I teased on social media and what I'm going to go ahead and and talk about now is our next series of podcasts. So in 2018, we were on the road to Infinity War in 2019, we were in the end game or putting characters in the end game. 2020 is all about expanding the universe, taking a page and a title from the Disney Plus special for Marvel Studios. We're going to talk about all of these different things, all of these different Marvel Studios movies and series that have been officially announced. And we're going to dedicate An entire episode to each one. We've talked about this before. We talked about it, I think, during our Comic-Con show. I think we talked about it again during our D23 show. And I think we talked about it a few times again, uh, a few times since then. But there are so many different things that are on the way from Marvel Studios and so many different topics to consider for each of these projects that they really all do deserve their own show previewing them and talking about our our expectations and so we're just going to go down the list and it's going to start next week with black widow because we're getting an exclusive look during the college football playoff national championship game so that's going to be our jumping off point so we're going to be talking about black widow next week and then in the weeks and really months to come because that's how long it's going to take we're going to be talking we're going to be doing preview episodes for the expanding the universe episodes for the falcon and the winter soldier the eternals wandavision Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Loki, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, What If, Hawkeye, Thor Love and Thunder, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Blade, and then the unofficially titled but dated Black Panther 2 and Spider-Man 3 or the third Marvel Studios Spider-Man film. So we're going to be talking about all of those and any other projects that may be officially announced during this year. Now, what might end up being a little bit different, because you just heard the list, it's a lot of episodes, this probably won't be a straight-through series where Road to Infinity War and In the Endgame just kind of went straight through for the next several weeks of the podcast. I don't know that every single week will be a brand new Expanding the Universe episode. Many weeks will be, and there will be several runs of consecutive weeks where that's going to be the theme. But as other things happen, and as other things break, we might have to dedicate an episode and, and interrupt the Expanding the Universe series to focus on something else. And then we will get back to the Expanding the Universe series. Uh, but we are going to be talking about all of these projects one by one. And so what are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to recap what we know so far about each project. And if that's, uh, if it's a project that stars previously established characters... We'll be examining their history in the MCU to try and figure out what we think their future is going to be. We'll be looking at any hints from the source material. And for brand new characters like the Eternals or like She-Hulk or Moon Knight, we're going to provide introductions to those characters. So when we look for hints from the source material, we will, of course, recap what we know about the projects. But we'll look at the source material. We will introduce you to these characters because I know not necessarily everybody knows who these characters are or where they come from. So we will help provide an introduction for you, a little bit of 101 for these characters, who they are in the comics, and also look at hints from their source material to see how their shows or how their movies might take, uh, how they might take place or how, how they might take shape, I, I should say. Uh, we will highlight some reading for you that you could do if you want to check out a trade paperback or subscribe to Marvel Unlimited and read some comics about those characters. And whatever else we may like to share or that we, or we think that you may want to know but if there are things specifically that you would like to know about these characters, then we invite you to actually email us at marvelstudiosnewscom at gmail.com. So when you look at the list of those officially announced titles, if there's something you want to know about a specific character, if you have a question, email it in. And if we think it's gonna, if we think it's a good topic, if we think it's a thing that a lot of people want to know, or if we get a lot of requests about the same, wanting to know the same types of things about these characters, then we know that that's something else we can provide for you on these episodes. So, I'm really excited about the uh, about this series. It's something we've been talking about for a while and I'm I'm really pumped to actually go through each of these projects one by one and share just how excited we are and why you know why we should be so excited about all of these projects and all of these characters who are either continuing or just starting their uh, their journey in the MCU. I'm sure and I'm sure Paul's excited too.
1: No, there's there's a lot to break down and I I cannot wait to start all, all, the process of of, of going, th- going through going through cuz again, I there's some I know a lot about Marvel and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I know a lot, but like things like the Eternals, I still know jack crap about. That is the I mean, at the most you have to be pretty much a diehard Eternals fan, Jack Kirby fan, essentially to just be into those characters. And I've read what we've brought for our show alone. We've already read a, a good chunk of eternal comic books. And I, you know, I, I, I'm having a trouble getting excited about, about that property in general, but I'm excited to dive deeper into it with the comics and, and seeing if I can potentially get more, into it. If that makes any sense. I'm more excited about the process of of learning more about them and what these new Eternals are going to be than the actual property itself. Is that if that makes any sense at all. So
0: No, it does. I mean, even my excitement for Eternals, it's not so much based on the reading that we've done. It's just based on the concept and how I think Marvel Studios is going to build upon
1: that. Yeah, exactly. So that to me is what I'm excited about to have the journey of and, and going through also getting to talk about things that I do know about. And I'm really, really stoked about diving in and, and and telling and trying to educate people where to go for like us agent comic books and, and Falcon cap and and again, Bucky winter soldier, all that stuff. I love those are characters that I love. So I'm excited to dive in deep with Scarlet witch and things like that. So there's a lot to be excited about breaking down these characters that we can really help you dive in deeper with these characters and also come with us and take the journey with us. I think that to me is what I think makes our show unique. Sean is that there's a knowledge in, in every facet for the Marvel Marvel, whether it be comics or films or both or whatever, but we're also experiencing it all together. And we, we do a great job of of taking that journey with, with the listeners. And I think that to me is what Makes us different than other shows. We get to experience it with you, and you you understand where we're coming from, and we understand where you're coming from. So, I'm excited to take this you know on with the Patreon uh, we have here, and and on the Discord and all of that. It's a it's gonna be exciting time for us to really experience the the new era of Marvel because this is a new era, and I think we have to really acknowledge that it's never gonna be the same again after Endgame, and and that's not a bad thing. It's actually a very exciting thing. So. We're going to experience this together. We're going to learn together, but we're also going to help you. We're going to educate you guys and help and help you understand these characters and and analyze them. So there's a lot of exciting things for our show and and, and our episodes this, this coming year. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, I am really excited about this entire series and excited about this year that we have coming up from a Marvel Studios perspective of all the things that we're looking forward to and what we're going to get to talk about throughout this year from the things that we preview to the things that we actually see, the spoiler reviews that we're going to be able to do for Black Widow, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Eternals, and WandaVision. It's just, it's just going to be a really great year on the podcast. And the whole purpose of this Expanding the Universe series, it's not to demonstrate our expertise on these things. It's just to provide, as I said, for a lot of these brand new characters... Provide that introduction. And for some of you, maybe you don't need it because you're well versed in the comics. But we know that there are a lot of Marvel fans and a lot of MCU fans who don't always know the comic books as well. And that's totally fine. That's totally fine. It doesn't matter to me whether you've always loved Marvel and you grew up reading the comics, or you've only been reading the comics for five years, or you've never read a comic book in your life, but you've fallen in love with these characters and these stories through the movies and through other mediums. All of that is totally fine. There's no wrong way to be a Marvel fan as long as you love Marvel and treat your fellow Marvel fans and fellow human beings with kindness and respect. As long as you're doing that, you're all good in in my book. And so that's why we want to provide these these introductions. And it's also... In some cases, it's introductions for us as well, as Paul mentioned, with Eternals as an example. It's a chance for us to get to know these characters a little bit better, a chance for you to get to know these characters a little bit better, and yeah, have a little fun speculating about what we think we might see in the MCU this year and in the years to come. So hopefully you'll be with us for that journey, expanding the universe like you were for Road to Infinity War and in the endgame. We're really excited about it. Hope you are too. But that is where we will wrap up this episode of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. Thank you, as always, for checking in. Remember to check out the brand new tier structure at patreon.com slash News, And then remember to keep up with us in all the places you can. marvelstudiosnews.com is the website facebook and instagram at marvel studios news make sure you follow us on instagram at marvel studios news we're doing a lot more over there than we have in the past i'm definitely putting a lot more effort into the instagram so make sure you're checking that out uh and then paul let everybody know where they can find you oh and on twitter we're at we're at marvel newscast
1: yeah follow follow us on twitter at marvel newscast but you can follow me (laughs) on twitter at Herman 22 with two ends uh aka pthug also follow my uh, other Star Wars podcast The Saga Continues with my good friends Tim and Kyle also Blaster Cannon with my friends Seth and Megan multiple Star Wars podcasts it's kind of crazy to be on two but let me tell you it's it, there's enough going on right now that two is more than I can handle eight podcasts of Star Wars right now there's so much going on but uh, but yeah this is the only Marvel podcast you're going to find me on which is which is saying something so Uh, yeah, follow me on all those things and, uh, and on Instagram as well. And Herman 22 at two ends as well. So, yeah.
0: Cool. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S E A N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.